But as morning passed to afternoon, she got neither. No computer, no outfit. In fact, it seemed like her husband had just totally forgotten her on Christmas. And then out of nowhere, her husband picks up the baby and says, Here, he's got a present for you. You know what that means, don't you? A stinky diaper. To say the least, she wasn't excited at all about having to change diapers on a Christmas morn. But she grabbed up the baby, she grabbed the powder, she grabbed the wipes, and she prepared for the worst. And then as she opened up the baby's diaper, lo and behold, she found it to be perfectly clean and a beautiful new strand of pearls there in the diaper. A gift from her laughing husband. Wasn't that a wonderful surprise? Do y'all like surprises? If you like surprises, raise your hand. If you don't like surprises, raise your hand. <laughs> wow. Some surprises are a lot of fun. Some of them, not so much. For instance, God's son being born in a stable. Kind of a surprise, isn't it? It seems a little bit crazy that the creator of life would be born in such a stinky place. It's a, a, a little bit incredible that, um, that the Creator God would have planned it that way, or much less done it that way. Would you have done it that way if you were the Creator? Would you have uh, planned the birth of the Savior in a damp, foul-smelling stable? Would you have planned uh, His birth to be amongst animals? Would you have planned for the birth of the Savior God to be announced to a bunch of low-class citizens watching their sheep and then invite them to be the first visitor? Let me tell you something, partner. I would not have planned it that way. And I would not have expected it that way. But people should not have been surprised when it came to the coming of Christ. For centuries, the Old Testament scriptures had communicated the fact that the Savior was coming. And he communicated that very clearly. Mankind had been given all the vital information necessary to be prepared for the coming of Jesus. We're told that he was born in Bethlehem. We're told that he would be born of a virgin. We're told that he would be coming to rescue his people from their sins. We're told that the person of Christmas is none other than God himself. And he's coming clothed in flesh in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. We're also told that his purpose was to bring life into deadness and light into darkness. Jesus, my friend is both the life and the light. Listen to what he said in John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus spoke to his disciples saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Jesus is both the light and the life. So the coming of the light and the purpose of the light should have been no surprise for you and I. Now, 
as we look upon the light, there can be many ways that we might respond to the light. But this morning, I want to share with you three ways that the Bible says that you can respond to the light. Follow along with me, if you would, in John chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. Now, he was not the light, verse 8, but he was sent to bear witness of that light that that was the, the true light which gives light to every man who comes into the world. He was in, that is the light, was in the world and the world was made through him the light. But the world did not know him. He even came to his own, verse 11, and his own did not receive him. But... As many as received him, to them he gave the right, the authority to become children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. Let us pray. Father, it's our prayer this morning that we see the light in a refreshing new way and realize that we must respond. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. Friend, the first way that you can respond to the light is you can reveal the light. That is, you can reflect the light. As we read those verses there, we see uh, a contrast between two people right there in the first three verses that I shared. One was Jesus, the light. The other was a man who revealed the light, his cousin, a man that we know as John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist was the one chosen by God to reveal the light to people. And he did that by bearing witness, proclaiming to people that the long-awaited Savior that Israel had hoped for for centuries was finally here. He's here, y'all. He is here. And you need to know that as well. But I was reminded of a minister that waited in a long line to have his car filled up with gas before a holiday weekend. And the attendant uh, at the full service gas station motioned him to the empty uh, pump. And the attendant said, Pastor, I'm sorry that it's taken so long. It just seems like that everybody waits until the very last minute to get ready for a long trip. And the pastor says, don't worry about it, son. I know what you mean. It's the same in my business. Do you know what that pastor meant? Do you understand what that pastor was saying? That pastor was saying that for the most part, people are not prepared for eternity. They're not prepared for eternity. And as God's people, we should feel that burden. It should burden us 
that people will spend eternity separated from God in a sinner's hell unless we share the good news that the light has come. Do you feel that burden this morning? Like John, you and I are called to announce that the light has come. We are called to announce that Jesus has come. We're called to let people know that there's light for people that are living in darkness. We're called to let people know that Jesus is that light. Do you feel that burden? Do you feel that burden for people? There's a city located in the very northern part of Norway. It's an ordinary city except for the months of November through January. And through those months, the sun never rises above the horizon. It's a period of perpetual night. The people who are normally healthy will tell you that during these months of darkness, they start getting stressed. During these months of darkness, they start getting preoccupied with thoughts of suicide. They'll tell you that during this period of darkness, all of those unsavory characteristics of humanity begin to rise to the surface. Things like fear, envy, suspicion, even crime. The citizens long for the day. They long for the night to end, and they hate to be alone. So much so that they even install neon light strips along their windows to imitate the light. Can you imagine being that destitute for light that you install light strips around your windows to imitate the light? Friends, when people are surrounded by darkness in this world, in their innermost being, I want to tell you, they crave the light. They may not say it, but down deep, they want the light. Nobody likes being in the darkness. And as God's people, we're called to point them to the light, Jesus Christ. You see, when, when Jesus first came, he didn't really look like the light. When Jesus came... He didn't come as some illuminated angelic being with wings and a halo. No. Instead, he came looking like us. He came looking just like you and I. But John the Baptist pointed him out. He pointed him out. He revealed the light to other people. So I want you to think back. It may have been last year. It may have been back when you were a child. But listen carefully. Who pointed you 
to the light. I want you to think of that person right now. Who was it that pointed you to the light? Who was it that shared Jesus with you? You got them in your mind? That person was John the Baptist to you. Pointing you to the light. And friends, we need to do the same thing to those who are in darkness about Jesus. They're looking for you. They crave you. They crave you to point them to the light. Every man, every woman, and every child needs somebody. Somebody to reveal Jesus to them so that they can decide for themselves whether they need a Savior or not. Is it you? Is it you that's willing to point them to the light? I'm going to tell you that you can and you should respond to the coming of Christ by revealing the light. Now, there's a second way you can respond. And this may seem a little bit obvious. But not only can you reveal the light, but you can also reject the light. You can turn your back on it. And you can reject the light. Let's read again in verse 10. He, Jesus, was in the world, and the world was made through him, Jesus, and the world did not know him, Jesus. He, Jesus, came to his own, and he, his own, Jesus' own, did not receive him. What did they do? They rejected him. They turned their backs on him. Jesus came so that every human being can know how much God loves you. That's why he came. He wants you to know how much God loves you. And when Jesus came, he fulfilled a prophecy in Isaiah where Isaiah wrote, The people walking around in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Jesus was this light. He was the light. He is the light. On December 17th, 1903, Orville and Wilbur Wright made their first flight in an airplane in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. You know where that's at, don't you? On their fifth attempt, Orville completed a 12-second flight. Not really flying, if you ask me, but I guess they were thrilled about it. A 12-second flight, and his brother Wilbur rushed to the telegraph office to send a message. We have flown for 12 seconds. We'll be home for Christmas. So upon receiving the telegram, their sister Catherine went to the newspaper office and told the editor, our brothers have a new flying machine. And they're going to be home for Christmas. The editor said, well, that's real nice. I'll make sure that I write up an article for the local newspaper about the boys and them coming home. So on December the 19th, the local newspaper put a headline on the sixth page of the paper that said this. Wright Brothers, home for Christmas. The most important story of the year, perhaps the most important story of the century, 
man's first flight, and that editor missed it. He missed it. Friend, I pray that through all your rushing around, through all of your cooking and all of your buying of the gifts, through all of your decorating, even through all of your doing ministry, I pray that you have not missed the fact that Jesus has come, that the light has dawned and come to shine on people who are walking in darkness. Friends, the fact that he's come calls for a response. Being that he's come, we're called to respond. Because, friend, 2,000 years ago when he came, despite all that evidence, Jesus was missed. Jesus was missed. We could summarize verse 10 in three sentences. The word Jesus was in the world. The world exists because of the word Jesus. And yet the word was rejected by the world. The world missed it. The light came and the world missed it. The world rejected its greatest opportunity. It missed it. And then in verse 11, the Bible literally says, He came home. He came home and even his own family didn't recognize him. What does that mean? Well, Jesus came to the country where God had stamped his name, Israel. Jesus had come to the land that was promised to Abraham. Jesus came to the temple that was dedicated to his own father. Jesus had come to the chosen ones who knew the Savior would be a suffering servant. But when he came, he was rejected. That brings us to this heartbreaking truth. Even though there's ample evidence, there's plenty of proof that Jesus should be received by all people. Most reject him. The one who said, let there be light. And there was light. And he saw that it was good. The one who lovingly cloaked his light in a human body in order to bring that light to men continues to be rejected to this day. But let me tell you something. That doesn't change the fact that Jesus is still the light. And every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is the Lord, that he is the Savior. Every tongue and every knee will bow. And God wants you to know that he will continue to seek after you. He'll continue to pry himself into your hardened heart, even to the last day, praying that you will not reject him. That's amazing love, isn't it? That's crazy love. It's crazy love. So in response to the coming of the light, you can choose to reveal him or reflect him, or you can choose to reject him. But there's a third possibility. And that is 
you can receive the light. Look in verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. He came, and humanity as a whole rejected him. God's plan A, and there wasn't a plan B, was rejected by mankind. It seems to me that our future looks pretty bleak. It seems to me that looks like all is lost. It seems that maybe we blew it. It seems like to me that perhaps this whole thing is a failure. And then, in the greatest interjection of the Bible, John writes the word, but. But. As many as received him, he gave them the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. It's not all lost. The future is now bright. We didn't blow it after all. God stepped in. You see, the single greatest division among people is not whether you're Christian or Muslim. The greatest division among people is not whether you're Democrat or Republican. It's not whether you're gay or straight. The greatest division among people is those that receive Jesus and those that don't. That's it. That, friend, is the greatest division amongst people. So don't ever forget that. There is an eternity of difference between those that receive the light as their own and those who reject the light. And I got good news. If you haven't, you can receive the light today. You have got the privilege of coming into a brand new relationship with God. 1 John chapter 3, the Apostle John writes, Behold what manner of love God has lavished on you that you should be called children of God. You see, friends, that's exactly what we are when we come to Jesus by faith. Children of God. Even in the midst of all your sin. Anybody hear sin before? <laughs> Amen. Even in the midst of all your rebellion. Did you rebel as a teenager? Yikes. <laughs> Even in the midst of all your rejection. <laughs> you know what's bad? Is I was introduced to him, knew him, and then rejected him after I knew him. What's up with that? But in the midst of all that, all that sin and the rebellion and rejection, God can produce a whole new creation. A brand new creation. And he will draw us and change us and cleanse us and use us for his glory. 
Suppose for a second that this bottle of medicine, I bet a lot of you have got a bunch of these bottles in your medicine cabinet, don't you? But this medicine's different. Suppose for a moment that this bottle of medicine has been proven to unmistakably cure cancer when you take one per day. One a day. If I could absolutely give you my word that if you'll take one of these tablets every day, you'll never get cancer. What would you think? Tell me. What? You wouldn't believe me? All right. What about anybody else? You take it? Anybody else? Give it a try? What would you do? You take it? Anybody else? You'd say I'm lying? You'd be lying when you said I was lying. Because preachers don't lie. Right? We'll leave that one alone. If this could cure cancer, would it do you any good if you took one a day? Would it do any good if you knew that it could cure cancer? Would it do you any good if you knew it would cure cancer? It wouldn't do any good? Why? Really? Come up here, Titus, just for that. Come up here, my man. The wisdom of a young man says that the medicine doesn't do you any good unless you have it. Unless you take it. If this medicine cures cancer, but you don't take it, it won't do you a lick of good. Sit down. As effective as this could be, if you don't receive it, it won't do you a lick of good. Same is true of salvation. The same is true of receiving the forgiveness of sin and the righteousness of Christ. The same is true of going to heaven. Although Jesus provided it by being crucified on a cross like that one, he already provided it. That will do you no good. Unless you receive it. Although he provided it, we must still receive it. So what will you do with the light? Say, Brother Bill, I received the light when I was six years old. I'm good. But you know, there's something about receiving the light that changes your life. Paul wrote it that he was crucified with Christ. So I ask you uh, this morning, have you been crucified with Christ? Is it no longer you who live, but Christ lives in you? And the life that you're now living in the flesh, are you living by the faith in the Son of God who loved you? And gave himself for you? You see, that's what happens when you receive the light. It changes who you are. You are no longer yourself. 
You are a Jesus-infused Beverly Scott. You are a Jesus-infused Titus. You're different. A whole new creation. So what will you do with the light? I want to encourage you to do something different. I want to encourage you to live in light of eternity. Don't just live just for the day. Make this day count for the glory of eternity. Make it different. I want to encourage you in response to the coming of the light to reflect the light, to reveal the light like John the Baptist did. Prepare other people for the light. Prepare other people for the only one that can make a difference in their life. Reflect the light. Friends, he's the Savior. He's the Prince of Peace. But you got to tell him. He is who he is, but he's nothing to somebody if you don't tell him and they don't receive him. You got to tell him. You got to let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and they glorify your Father in heaven. Reflect the light. And whatever you do in response to the coming of the light, I pray you don't reject the light. Millions have and died without Christ. Died with no hope. Died with no heaven. Don't reject the light. Millions have dismissed the light. Instead, I want you to receive the light. Receive that light. Receive the privilege and the joy of becoming a son or a daughter of God. Believing in the name of Jesus. Having all your sins cleansed. Believing in him. Becoming a new creation. And being used by the hand of God to construct the kingdom of heaven. Is that not incredible? Jesus said, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, Jesus is building a kingdom here, and he invites you to become part of that construction process. So let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and they glorify your Father in heaven. I think I've shared out of my devotional book a couple of times in my messages this is entitled God's Promises for You. And uh, Billy and Connie Shelton gave me this back in 2010. And, and I read from it regularly. But today's just blew me away. And if you would, wouldn't mind, I'd like to just share it with you. It's time to let God's love cover all things in your life. All the secrets. All the hurts. All the hours of evil and all the minutes of worry. The mornings that you awoke in the bed of a stranger, his love will cover that. The years you peddled prejudice and pride, his love will cover that. Every promise you broke, every drug you ever took, every penny you ever stole, his love will cover that. Every crossword spoken, Every cuss word spoken, every harsh word spoken, his love will cover that. But you have to let it. 
Discover along with the psalmist, he loads me with love and mercy. And I've never heard this picture before, but picture this. A giant dump truck. Y'all know, anybody know what a Euclid is? Euclid is one of those gigantic dump trucks where the tires are like this tall. Right? They use them in mining and mountains and stuff, moving mountains and stuff. Picture one of those gigantic Euclid dump trucks, and it's full of God's love. And here you are standing behind it. And God begins to lift the bed. And the love starts coming down, slowly at first. And then all of a sudden, it's just overwhelming you. And the love of God has completely encompassed who you are. Ain't no more sin, Brother Bill, in that pile of love. Amen? Hidden, buried, covered in his love. Romans 5, 8 says, But God demonstrated his own love toward us, and then while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you've never received the light today, I want to invite you to receive it. If you, like myself, have rejected it, and you say enough's enough, I want to receive it again. God says, come. I'll cover all of your rejection in this mountain of love. He wants you to receive the love of God. Let me pray for you.